perfection. Spook boo to you. You're listening to Last Refuge of the Incompetent. I'm Gall. I'm Moses. I'm Ted. And we're joined by a very, very special guest. His name is Stevie. Say hi, Stevie. Hey, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Stevie is a fan. So the people listening right now. Such that a are, fan. He's kind of like the Brent. You're, you're Brendan, Ted. You're, he's like. In that he's actually oh. listened to multiple <laughs> episodes of the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, my speaker broke about a month ago, so I I've missed like the last like three, I think. But you're not getting us yeah. in five point one surround. <laughs> <laughs> I figure yeah. we might as well have a rule that if you've listened to more than fifty percent of our sh- show episodes, you can just be on the show. Yeah, you're officially a, good... a host. <laughs> <laughs> That's what community looks like. If you guys, oh, yeah, if you guys our, our theme is what spooky mo- movies. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's, yeah. <laughs> this is Halloween. Is that today? Yeah, that's today. Happy Halloween! Yeah, okay, cool. My music inspiration was 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s music that Ted may or may not play. That's Halloween themed. We're going to talk about a book called House of Leaves towards the end of this. And did you know that he, the author, has a sister in a band called Poe, and she wrote a companion yes. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually listened to Poe like in high school. I was oh, yeah. very excited to to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good actually. Anyway. I listened to right, the only, the only one I can think of is the that Thirty Rock one, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's yeah, still my I favorite can, Halloween if song. If I can find a good copy of Werewolf Bar Mitzvah, I'm gonna put it in there. Oh, I can I can send you it. I've got the extended version. <laughs> oh, and if we haven't already played this song as an introduction to this episode, it's definitely going to go in there. But Tim, we're going to talk about The Worst Witch, and Tim Curry in The Worst Witch oh. sings a pretty classic song. Called um, Anything Can Happen on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's a video you should look up right now and watch. It contains 100%. every like public access TV video effect. It's sexy Tim Curry. So yeah, we... I forced everyone in my house to watch it last night. <laughs> it's only an hour long. <laughs> no, not the worst witch, oh, just, just the, the Tim Curry <laughs> without like any explanation. I was just like, this, yeah. yeah, just that music video is enough. Stevie is here, a guest today, because I was texting, we're on a group chat, and I texted what we were doing for this episode, and Stevie was like, oh, I've seen all of those movies. So... <laughs> That's all you need. That and, and then, listen to more than half of our episode, and you're in. Executive producer, really. That's time. Wait, but what did Sick. you say? You said that that Tetsuo the Iron Man was really important to you at some point in your life. I think just like aesthetically, like mm-hmm. when I was younger, I made like silly, you know, like sculptures or whatever. Not necessarily like the the plot, but I would say like the aesthetic <laughs> tapestry. And yeah, that yeah. movie was was really and the like this I forgot how good the the weird kind of music in that is too the the embedded sound all the like weird and just mm-hmm. interstitial stuff for sure.
Hey everybody, you're listening to the podcast version of Last Refuge of the Incompetent. That means all the music that we talk about and then subsequently play on the radio is edited out so that we can legally produce this show and put it up on different platforms for you to enjoy. Hopefully, hopefully you're enjoying this. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Anyway, if you would like to listen to the radio edit, you're in luck because we put all those shows up on Mixcloud. Mixcloud.com, just search Last Refuge of the Incompetent, or go to our website, lastrefugepod.com, lastrefugepod.com. You can then have access to all the links that we talk about on the show, as well as the full playlists, as well as a link to the Mixcloud for that episode. And you can check out all the cool art for the show. Because depending on what platform you're listening to, there may or may not be all that cool art displayed. Anyway, I've been talking for too long, so enjoy the rest of the show. Though they hold me aloft, further from truth and farther from home for Let's start it off light, though, guys. Let's talk a little bit about the worst witch. Is anybody? Oh, I just. <laughs> I used to teach, so I just—I was just to be—I like, was about to be like, "Has anybody heard about the worst?" worst <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do our homework. Anyway, it's a British. Oh, I didn't write down when it came out. Do you remember? It's 1980s, right? The hair is great. 1986. Oh, six. 1986. It's only an hour long. It's a made-for-TV movie about, but it—the source material is by a woman named Jill Murphy, who wrote basically Harry Potter before Harry Potter. And the one she thing that I... She also illustrated it, too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's an article that I found where they're asking... I mean, basically, it's so, so, so... Harry Potter is so influenced by this. And there's an article I found that where they're like, so what do you think, Jill, Jill Murphy? Like, J.K. Rowling has never said anything about her, about your series. It was a really popular series. It came out in 1974. And she was like, well, you know, a thank you would be nice. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that was really the number one thing I came away with from The Worst Witch, is just being even less impressed by J.K. Rowling. Like, <laughs> I mean, Harry Potter was al- already just, like, taking British boarding school story and then adding witchcraft to it. But now I know that that, w- that had already been done, and she just took it from, like, being a kid's book to being a young adult book by adding in, like, a, a messianic uh, hero's journey thing to it and making it 4,000 pages long or however long all the books together are. <laughs> yeah, Our, our favorite, Ursula K. Le Guin has a, a pretty good quote about the Harry Potter mania. She's not like, she's not dissing Harry Potter. Her, she's mostly dissing all the critics who loved it so much. She's just like, didn't you read anything else? Like, this stuff has been around. Like, she wrote <laughs> that was a wizard school, and then the worst witch. She compared it to, it's like seeing a food reviewer saying, oh my god, buttered toast, where has this been all my life? It's like, just look around. <laughs> you could have been having so much. There, there are other books. Yeah, really? I mean, the way Ursula K. Le Guin reviewed Harry Potter is almost more devastating than if she'd, like, really torn into it. Mm-hmm. Like, if she was hypercritical, it'd be like, oh, this is just, like, Oh, an old woman who's bitter about not having the same success. But instead, she just goes like, yeah, it's all right. It's competently done. I don't know what the hubbub is about. Another thing that Harry yeah. Potter doesn't have is... Uh, Diana Fer- Riggs? Fer- 
Oh, no, Fer- <laughs> Diana Rigg, that's true. <laughs> I thought... Fer- anyway. Feruza Bolt. Oh, what were you going to say, Steve? That's who that is. Yeah, yeah a real Feruza. a real witch. Allegedly. <laughs> well, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> she denies her, her witch rumors, but wouldn't... Wouldn't a witch do just that, you know? We, we didn't watch The Craft for this episode, but we all love it, right? Right, everyone? The Craft? I have never yes. seen The Craft. What? what? Yeah. Were you not a teenage girl? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ted, were you not, like us, a teenage girl in the late 90s? Although there are many indications that would suggest otherwise, I was not a goth girl in high school. Yeah, they're actually uh, coming out with, like, a new craft, I think, I think what? this month. Yeah, it looks like garbage. But the, it does look really bad. <laughs> the, um, yeah, some people have really like written some scathing things about just the trailer on the internet that are kind of funny oh yeah (laughs) yeah i think my favorite it was like these girls are dressed like if they were dropped off at hot or at urban outfitters and were told they were gonna see their grandparents in 30 minutes and had to pick out an outfit like like one bird yeah right that's a pretty spooky bird (laughs) listeners you can't you can't eat I mean, obviously you can't see this, but I, I need you to picture what Moses looks like right now. <laughs> he's Very literally... describe me. <laughs> he's just... I guess he's lying prone on his bed, but he's got his head propped up on a white pillow, and he's not moving any other part of his body because he's got his nope. microphone on top of him. So yep. he just looks like a talking head that <laughs> every once in a while is saying, ooh, very spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I look like, not, I guess I look more like Jerry Harrison than David Byrne. Is that <laughs> one talking head right now? and Stevie did us a, a service and he's he's currently watching the remake of The Worst Witch or the... Oh no, I could only get through like three episodes of that. And I was like, oh, I look, can't. Right, it's a series on Netflix now. There's four seasons, I think. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, if there's like 20 books, I'm sure there's plenty of material to... Yeah, and you know, with. kids are... Kids love wizards, you know, so... I mean, this is a children's movie, for sure. But what is enjoyable as an adult when you're watching it is just... <laughs> the choices they make <laughs> throughout the film. Uh, also, upon rewatch, Debbie really did it for me. The, like, weird, the witch who has, like, the mobile phone on her broom. Oh, the, oh, ne- the like, niece. <laughs> oh, is her name Delilah? I think so. <laughs> yeah, oh, like she's great. <laughs> Yeah, she's, like, the niece, right, of, like, Mrs. Yeah. Tackle, the headmistress. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I she's think, got an American accent. <laughs> yeah, she's um, like kind of Jersey or something. Like. An American accent that keeps changing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought Diana Rigg put in just a fantastic performance as like an officious, oh proper head yeah, absolutely headmistress type. I mean, she went hard as her twin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really impressive. I wanted to read this text that Ted sent. Earlier, when I was remarking remarking about how weird the worst witch is, he wrote, The characters in children's movie The Worst Witch are hornier for Tim Curry's Grand Wizard than anyone in any movie I've ever seen. A lot of the plot revolves around this visit that the unfortunately named Grand Wizard is making, and they're like really yeah, excited really about it. Him. And then Anything once else. Tim Curry actually appears, they're just 
so captivated by him. Oh and my god! Like I... hanging on every word and gesture. Yeah. When I was making this outline today, I was like, "Oh, here's uh, don't don't forget to mention Tim Curry when he was doing the Grand Wizard." No, that can't be right. That's the Ku Klux Klan. That's not, that's not me. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the worst way. <laughs> Alright guys, we're getting gross. Do it. We're no longer talking about movies that your child should watch. Well, it's you're... time for some Halloween grizz- grizzly and gore. What we came here for. So the first one is it's also only an hour long. It's a cyberpunk horror film, art film from Japan from 1989 called Tetsuo the Iron Man. Does anybody want to try and describe <laughs> Tetsuo the Iron Man? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the main way I would describe it is by contrasting it, like comparing it and contrasting it with the next movie we're going to talk about, which is not helpful. Um, well, that's fine. It's, it's not a secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's um, the next movie we're going to talk about? A video drone. And they're both just kind of about like a weird intermingling or like psychic confusion between technology and television and sexuality. I mean, Tetsuo the Iron Man is about accidentally killing somebody who has a metal fetish mm, and yeah. then getting cursed by him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then being mm-hmm. turned into a weird <laughs> uh, monstrous cyborg. And then uh, fusing with the person, the dead person you were cursed by, and together deciding to, like, do a um, Katamari apocalypse type deal. But Um, they fall in love at the end, too. It's very beautiful. Kind of, I guess. Is that that what happens? (laughs) That's how I saw it. You know how they talk about the House of Leaves book, whether it's a horror story or a love story? I think Tetsuo the Iron Man is a love story. I, yeah... I would, uh, yeah, I would like for that to be the case. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Tetsuo the Iron Man is about queer assemblages or something. Sure. (laughs) Upon rewatch, I, like, kind of, like, I got, like, what was actually going on. I feel like the first time I watched that movie or the first couple times, I was just like, this is cool. (laughs) And, like, didn't really, like, understand, like, the actual, like, plot points. Kind of works, I feel like, as kind of just, like, a weird like tapestry of a movie in a weird way well you said it it inspired you what particular uh what stayed with you over the years like the like gross like gritty kind of like like a lot of shots in that movie just almost feel like a sculpture or something like sculptor Mm -hmm. costume makeup stuff that goes into the transformation is pretty impressive for like a low budget film i don't know keeping it in like black and white too i think like helped a lot with that even though it was probably like just a budget thing like i feel like reading about the like production on it like they had like no money <laughs> but yeah uh, i was reading it was um a play and then he uh, he was a play and everyone in the, his movie they were all like m- did the play with him i think it was called like robot boy or something like that and then mm-hmm. they he was like well, i have all these sets that we built so i don't want it to go to waste yeah cool. it may have been a budget thing but the doing it in black and white does make it kind of feel like some more like some early silent film it's like the high contrast black and white and the really like big acting with tight close-ups make it feel sort of german expressionist almost there's also um, very little talking, very like little very dialogue. little actual dialogue. Oh yeah, I read that like when it premiered at festivals before it was released, they didn't like they couldn't even afford subtitles, so 
<laughs> just like in Japanese and like people loved it anyway. <laughs> well, that's what kind of yeah. made me wonder. I was like, oh, this was a play. Like there's. How did that work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how did any of that work? Yeah. Um, it's actually a, a musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watching a movie like this, you can tell why the, this genre ended up being called cyberpunk because it does feel very punk. We're just going to do whatever we want with a shoestring budget. And it's much more about attitude than coherent narrative. If I had read what the plot of the movie is supposed to be i would not have been able to describe it on just one viewing at all oh yeah no i read the plot so i watched all these movies worst witch the two of the iron man Videodrome, Scanners, and then Mind Warp. I watched them all in the past two days. My brain is a little bit frazzled because they are. Girl. <laughs> yeah. You're going to Cronenberg yourself. I did Cronenberg yeah. myself. <laughs> and did Videodrome. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Videodrome. I mean, just to. So I watched Videodrome and The Worst Witch pretty close together. And I was confused at like when Gal sent me like the. The list of movies or whatever, like, I was like, okay, like, Tetsuo, Videodrome, that makes a lot of sense, but, like, what's, who, like, who invited, you know, Feruza, like, why is the <laughs> switch there? But then that Tim Curry part, I was like, this is the Videodrome, like, once you watch this, like, you will never be the same. Like, <laughs> Can't believe this made it onto TV. <laughs> yeah, like, what, yeah. Gonna, gonna, get, gonna get a curry tumor. <laughs> yeah. Very anyway. provocative idea you just brought up, Ted. Just a Tim, a Tim Curry growing out of me. <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love that. He's great. Like Beyond Thunderdome style. If anybody's wondering, what are we talking about? <laughs> Videodrome came out in 1983 by acclaimed Canadian director David Cronenberg. It stars uh, not a great man, James Woods. Yeah, R.I.P. James Woods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gave a good performance here, but he died many years ago, so... <laughs> Yeah. Shortly after the filming of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, let's choose to believe that his the final scene is the true actually what happened to James Woods. RAP method actor James Woods. <laughs> so I'm a person that watches a lot of television and I really enjoyed the message that the next step in human evolution is is the new flesh, you and T V one one together. I'm into it. Let's do it. Another happy ending. Yeah. 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 Love story. It is another love story with Debbie Harry as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly David Cronenberg said that all his films should be viewed from the perspective of the disease. So oh. if I mean, so according to David Cronenberg, that is the correct way you're viewing your, your reading of it is the correct reading. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Do you have a tr- David Cronenberg impression? He's not very... I don't think I've ever heard him speak, although he has acted yeah. in, a, in a number of films. I've heard him speak. He sounds like a regular Canadian guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's from Toronto. Yeah, one thing I do really appreciate about David Cronenberg is that the first decade of his filmmaking was pretty much funded entirely by the Canadian government. So oh. we only like get to Videodrome through Canadian film grants. Love that. Yeah, that system works. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, when he was... Like, he first got interested uh, in filmmaking from, like, the student films of someone he went to 
college with named Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman went on to direct Ghostbusters. I enjoyed all the Canadian accents in both Videodrome and Scanners. There's some strange voices in both those movies. <laughs> I feel like, especially in Scanners, that one, like the older Doctor, right? Yeah. yeah well, that's Patrick McGowan uh, yeah. from okay. The Prisoner, etc. I didn't notice that many strongly Canadian accents in either of those necessarily, but the locations in Videodrome all feel very Canadian somehow. And are, because um, he almost <laughs> always filmed in Canada. But, and also, like, the people in Scanners just look so Canadian. Like, when yeah. those three assassins get sent to the, the artist's, uh, like, studio to kill him, they're all in, like, flannel and, like, big sweaters. Like, these are the most yeah. Canadian, Canadian assassins I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Good God. My favorite line reading from Scanners is, I guess we gotta pitch that for a second. Scanners is about telepathy, mind reading. But what if mind reading really meant you experienced everything their mind experienced. So if you tried to read someone's mind, you would feel their entire body, but you're also feeling your body. So it would drive you insane. Uh, and so the artist character has all these sculptures of like huge body parts. And I forget the context of the scene, but they're trying to tell him how he copes with all this. And he just points to his studio and says, my art. <laughs> <laughs> and that line reading stuck with me forever. <laughs> We've done a really good job of describing Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so... Oh, oh, this is what I enjoyed about it. So James Wood is the president of a small local television station in Toronto that's actually based off of a television station in Toronto that Cronenberg, I guess, watched. And I guess TV at the time, to compete, they would play softcore porn and just really gross, I don't know, body horror sort of... What's the word? Just like torturey sort of things. Snuff like. films. And he like sees this, I don't know, somebody pirates this torture thing and he thinks it's a bunch of actors and he's like, oh wow, the acting is so good. And he finds out that it's real and people are actually being tortured and murdered and the weird, uh, <laughs> watching the weird torture turn develops a, a brain tumor, right? That turns you into Your a TV. body changes, I feel like. <laughs> oh, quite. Yeah, I- it's the under well i guess it's not the content itself it's something like an underlying videodrome signal that's embedded in the footage that develops this tumor that might be a new organ i feel like part of the metaphor here is that the the inability to distinguish between real sex and violence and simulated sex and violence uh, as soon as you lose that distinction then you start physically losing the distinction between yourself and the tv tube mm-hmm. or in james wood's case a gun you know <laughs> other other physical signifiers of sex and violence right uh or the tools of sex and violence become yeah i, I think part the, of your body i think there's a bit of exposition where the glasses company executive or salesman <laughs> says that like the signal can be embedded in any in footage of anything But, like, extreme sex and violence is what activates the tumor or, like, makes the hallucination effect more powerful. This whole thing is invented by Professor Brian Oblivion, who's got some real Willy Wonka vibes to him. (laughs) (laughs) Another very Canadian performance. Like, the accent isn't particularly strong, but just the character is somehow so Canadian. Brian Oblivion. (laughs) I definitely feel like what... He has that kind of revealing monologue or whatever, where he talks about how his name is made up and how everyone in the future is going to have like this made up name. Yeah, and it's his, it's his television name. I don't know. It's kind of, I just thought about like, kind of like 
Snapchat or TikTok are like the like modern handle and how everyone kind of has like a different name for themselves. In 2020, Brian Oblivion would definitely be like streaming on Twitch all the time and be dropping Instagram story after Instagram story. Get Cronenberg on the line. Need a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of parasocial relationship commentary. I just learned that word and I like it. Don't overuse it. That's when you're friends with ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. enjoyed scanners better really i yeah. mean i don't know why i was so shocked by that. <laughs> <laughs> i just I liked it i i mean honestly it's funny james woods is really unlikable just in like as an actor so i just wasn't i wasn't rooting for him <laughs> and i really liked that like sweet innocent character vance in um scanners one thing that scanners yeah. does do really well is so all the scanners in the movie are they're generally like social outcasts or misfits because they constantly have other people's thoughts or bodies in their head. They're always like overloaded. They can't interact normally. So a lot of the performances do a good job of like having this odd affect. Oh, this person isn't quite normal. Like um, maybe they- to us that reads as Canadian, but to other <laughs> Canadians, you can tell. <laughs> Yeah, Scanners is fun. Videodrome feels like more of an accomplishment. Scanners still feels like he's developing this style. And then Videodrome is where he's like, yeah, he's got it all like together in one thing. And I mean, James Woods, I mean, his character is a sleazebag. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think we need to sympathize with him that much. Um, I mean, I Videodrome is also scarier visually and yeah. mm-hmm. gross-wise. Yeah, totally. The clay wall... Video drum room is like deeply creepy. Yeah, I find that creepier than any of like the yeah, direct like the, body horror stuff. Yeah, like just the what is that like? Kind of like the imprint of fingers and other like against the clay, kind of at the back of the room or whatever. Yeah. Was that all um practical effects? I mean, I don't think there was any CGI at the time, or no. not CGI that you could do that with. I was reading something about the head explosion in Scanners, which is like one of the best (laughs) moments ever in any movie. (laughs) Yeah, like all of that was kind of like trial and error with like a plaster. I just heard recently that supposedly there's like a prop person like lying on the floor behind the prop head and just shot it with a shotgun yeah (laughs) and they just like stuffed it with random hamburgers i think like mushed up hamburger is a big uh element (laughs) of that of the scanner's head i liked in scanners the thalidomide theme do you know what thalidomide was stevie no no (laughs) (laughs) i i think it was like 40s or 50s i'm trying to pinpoint the exact decade it was a it was like a an anti-anxiety medication that was given to pregnant women that oh, um yeah, 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 yeah caused yeah. pretty severe birth defects and like thalidomide babies were a you know they they all had a particular type of birth defect and it was like a big it was a big scandal big thing that would draw a parallel <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like, I don't know if you guys watch, it's kind of a cheesy show, but that show, The Boys. Yeah. On, I watched so the first like, season. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. But I feel like there's, the plot line of that show also a very similar thing is happening. 
kind of. Oh yeah, they're weird. like making those superhero. Yeah, like with. superhero. I don't know. Can we spoilers are allowed on this show? Yeah. Oh yeah, can we spoil everything. <laughs> Again, you're talking to upwards of eight ears. Yeah. <laughs> we have an official pro spoilers policy established early on. <laughs> Yeah, like superpowers kind of come from like a weird like compound. Yeah, been, like, yeah, to create superheroes. Know. It's a common refrain. Thalidomide is first sold in 1957. Okay, sold so the effects were, were happening in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. you could still get thalidomide. Just don't take it when you're pregnant. <laughs> also watched mind warp today which was a real mind warp yeah i don't know what exactly led me to find the trailer to mind warp there's this long-running like horror fan magazine called fangoria and they tried like making their own movies having a production house spinoff and mind warp was the very first and they only made two more after they folded yeah it's this kind of weird Curiosity from 1990? 92. Yeah. It's not a great movie. No, it's uh, not a great movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is very gory, if that's your thing. Super gory, super gross, like, pussy, weird yeah. stuff, basically. Yeah. Human Let's disfigurement. And, <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah, basically what you'd expect from... Like a movie that was made by a horror fan magazine. Those are the people who just want the gore. It has um, Bruce Campbell in it, but they don't use any of his charm. They just have him play a straight character where you're like, it's Bruce Campbell. <laughs> He's just a good Bible-reading, post-apocalyptic um, <laughs> yes, cannibal exactly. fighter. No, there's a little bit of good Bruce Campbell, or like vintage Bruce Campbell at the end after he like vomits up parasites. Yes, and then that was really, that was the best, <laughs> best part. <laughs> but no, yes, Stevie. Like most <laughs> of the movie on this movie already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the movie is gory, but it's framed within this sort of proto matrix thing, where they're the main characters are they live underground in this like early '90s curved beige environment, like sort of like the. Next Generation Enterprise, they're plugged in to this virtual reality called Infinisynth with like what looks like a little printer port in the back of their neck. (laughs) It's absolutely Um, a printer port. (laughs) (laughs) And like they live underground because I think nuclear war or something destroyed the surface. They never, they don't know. They never explained it. Like there's ambiguity there because then he, then she goes to the, she she had, the entire movie is her in this world that she thinks is real, and then, oh, oh spoiler alert, it was all in her mind. Warp. <laughs> so I was expecting much more of that, and instead we got Cannibal Wasteland, Trash Mine, Gore Fest. It was definitely um, two movies. Hmm, yeah. Like, you could have just made two different movies. And also, they did not need to include the hinting at maybe there's going to be some father-daughter incest. This is an <laughs> unnecessary <Gross>. plot point. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> the thing about that is, so, in the big Shyamalan twist at the ending, when it turns out she hasn't gone to the outside world, and it's just that, like, her disappeared dad is the sysop who's teaching her a lesson about why you should never go outside. And also that, like, that way grooming her to become the next sysop. So in, in the infinite sense hallucination that she thinks is the outside, 
she finds her dad who's running this cannibal trash mine like and then like because there are too many like mutants and very few people can have healthy babies wants to have an incest baby and then at the end after the twist she's never like hey uh why did why did that fantasy that like fantasy lesson you taught me involve you wanting yeah. to sleep with me yes so it's, it's she, just, she just goes and gives him a hug when she's like oh it's good to be home but also he's not alive anymore like he's already dead because the movie ends with like the camera panning onto his like the urn with his ashes. Oh, so, yeah. So, like, does he live on as a sysop in the virtual world? Or does Infinisynth just, um... It's a real just, thinker. Like, create Get a thinker. on the phone. Yeah. We need, <laughs> we need answers about 1992's Mind Warp. I think it's intentionally... I think, it, the, I think the filmmakers were like, we're gonna... It's a real thinker here. We're gonna yeah. leave people guessing. <laughs> Setting it up for a sequel, Mind Warp Two, <laughs> Infinisynth Harder. Oh right, the two Infinisynth and beyond. Any of you ever see Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Bring it no. up a lot, but I still haven't seen it. <laughs> I bring it up. Actually, I do bring it up a lot. It's on uh, Netflix right now. I like almost watched that the other night. You know, scary clowns. What could be spookier? Yeah, but I remember. I like- and it's it's just a bananas, crazy alien clown movie. But I watched the like this clip of an interview with the directors, and they were convinced that they were starting a huge franchise. They were so <laughs> sure that people were going to go nuts for the movie, and they are, they had a whole arc planned out and everything for the next five Killer Clowns movies, and it never took off. I mean, you never know. <laughs> that would have been a good film for this episode. Oh yeah, Should've how did we do that one, clowns. Moses? We had a lot. We had a lot of films. Is that the one where and they're like? Honestly, in parts it drags. <laughs> You want my review? <laughs> like, okay, we get it. They spin cotton candy cocoons around everyone and then eat them up. Keep going. <laughs> we already know what clowns do. <laughs> it's a pretty good uh, killer shadow puppet guy, but best part of it. guys i'm not a big fan of spooks but i i have been enjoying i mean i they haven't been scary none of the movies we watched are scary at least like i'm not having nightmares from them i feel like the effects in like kind of that the like 80s early 90s kind of practical effects i still find like a little bit more like they get under my skin more than like the current stuff you know anything with somebody's like fingernails coming off that's no good I mean that's yeah. that's very difficult for me to watch. I'm th- I'm yeah. thinking of more Cronenberg. I'm thinking of the fly when Jeff Goldblum's body starts deteriorating. Yeah, a lot a lot of stuff in like Tetsuo the Iron Man is like yeah, that's gross. I'd rather not be looking at that right now. <laughs> I guess gross, but I don't get any of that fear that I felt like when I was what was that one that came out when we were in high school? The Ring, that one. That one scared me. Oh, I, feel like if you, I feel like if you rewatched The Ring now, you'd be like, oh, why was I scared? I mean, not I that really it's a it's a great movie, but it's not yeah. like... Okay. Maybe know. that's what so, it is. Maybe it's just I, maybe I'm just older now. I was scared by The Ring um, and that <laughs> that like teaser they dropped for it that like is the video in The Ring. Yeah, that I found that deeply creepy. But I saw The Ring in theaters and there's a scene midway through the movie or like later in the movie... And it's set on a ferry, like a car ferry from the Pacific Northwest. Something, like something that's happening on the ferry spooks this horse that like just breaks out of like one of those horse trailers 
and it just runs right off the ferry into the water. And just something about that, like, physical action, I just found hilarious. And I started, I busted out laughing so hard in this theater during the ring. And as you might guess, nobody else was laughing. <laughs> I have no regrets. I guess I didn't see that many scary jump scare movies in theaters when I was a kid. But there was one one jump scare that got me and it was not a scary movie. It was from the movie The Indian in the Cupboard. And, uh, oh wow! And it was part of a movie that was set. In, like, also, I was whatever. I was eight years old. Come on, yeah. uh, and and uh, you're it's you're you're down at the this miniature Indian size man. Uh, so everything's very everything is huge and scary. And at some point, you know, he's walking around. I don't know a giant counter in the kitchen. We um, a mouse jumps out, and so the mouse, you know, jumps out of this cupboard, and I yelp. I go. Ah! <laughs> uh, and then the, the the whole theater laughs at me. Oh, oh no! <laughs> me an eight or ten? Maybe I was ten. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's Damn. traumatic. There we go. It's the biggest yeah. laugh I ever got. If you have a story of having inappropriate reactions <laughs> at a horror movie in a in a movie theater, remember those. Email us at Last Refuge of the Incompetent. No, wait, The Last Refuge the of the Incompetent. Because the guy that owns Last Refuge has been getting all of our emails. If you have <laughs> the, the email address, lastrefugeoftheincompetent at gmail.com, please email <laughs> us <laughs> at The Last Refuge of the Incompetent. My tears with brine from the ocean. I actually thought of the ring while watching Video Drone because I was like, this is kind of like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's totally like, the same thing. The, can't watch the tape, you know? I feel like the that is like such a time period specific spook, this whole like TV video world that now wouldn't really work for, you know, young people growing up without. I feel like now their spook, their like tech spook is very black mirror-y sort of like getting sucked into your phone sort of situation. I feel like that's kind of the same thing, right? It is the same thing, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's, unfortunately, like, there really hasn't, I feel like there's been, I I haven't seen yet, like, a good horror movie about, like, the kind of social media. I think there was one, one, a horror, social media horror one called The Feed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, they they are out there, and I've seen, I feel like I watched, it's the one that ever, people like Cam a lot. It's about, like, a cam girl kind of thing. Oh, that's the one that, like, is Un- actually unfriended? just filmed from from yeah. the perspective of someone watch or, like, the screen, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think Unfriended, too, is kind of like that, right? Yeah. It's, like, all on. Yeah. I think there was a one released this year as well that's, like, all on Zoom. Oh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Come on. Someone had to do it. <laughs> oh, no, what happened to Stevie? <laughs> We're not on Zoom. We're on Jitsi right now. Buffering. <laughs> right. Buffering. <laughs> yeah. Buffering. Did you guys see, though, that, like, people, you know how, like, classes, like, lectures are, like, taught on Zoom now? And a lot of, yeah. like, kids were, like, staging, like, being, like, abducted. It is kind of odd that there's fewer, there seem to be fewer movies about, like, the pervasive all-day influence of the internet on our lives than there are about, like the spread of cable television in the 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was so many. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like these like 80s movies about are about, in a way, the influence of television. 
they're not like when television first became prevalent. Like most people had a TV Mm -hmm. by the early sixties. So if there's like some change that in society generally that they're reflecting, it's got to be like, yeah, there's cable now. There's that weird owl movie. Or like home video too, probably. Isn't that weird owl? Oh yeah, isn't that? (laughs) Oh, I did want to say they live is kind of about some uh, cable bread brainwashing via i wanted to say that michael ironside that man's face is made to scare people <laughs> yeah he's got kind of a canadian jack nicholson thing going oh on my god at yes. that age yes because yeah. <laughs> totally. like he was jack... still skinny yeah i think that's it yeah it's kind of like jack nicholson playing sam neill um... <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> my tears I mean, Moses and I had read previously House of Leaves. Did you read? Did you finish it, Ted, or did you? I got a third of the way through House of Leaves. But yeah, it's, it's very hard. Long. <laughs> yeah, it's long. It's hard. Have you heard of it, Stevie? Yeah, actually, I think I attempted to read it at one point in time and was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like a lot of my friends. Re- it's the one where you like turn yeah. in the book. Vertical footnotes. Uh, yeah, it's like footnote on footnote kind of thing. Different colors. Some pages are like portals to other pages somehow. Like the old choose your own adventure books, where you would like. Yeah, there's definitely parts of that. So yeah, it's it's what 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 are the buzzwords? Postmodernist deconstructing (laughs) literature. (laughs) But it's good. It was fun. It's a fun fun to read, and uh, it does have a whole part where fictionally interviewing a bunch of literary critics kind of ribs them. There's a fake Douglas Hofstadter in there. Came out in March of 2000 by a man named Mark Z. Danielewski. So in the year 2000, my brother, to be cool, dyed his hair neon blue. And there's an interview with Mark Z. Danielewski on YouTube from from when the book came out and his hair is dyed bright blue. (laughs) Yes. I was like, of course, of course. Of course you wrote this book. The crux of the book is that the house is bigger on the inside. I think that also creeped me out when I <laughs> when I attempted to read it. Like something about like, I don't know, secret spaces and in the place you live. Yeah, is like it does a great terrifying. job building up that ominous, unknowable feeling. I hesitate to draw any conclusions having only read the first third of the book. Um, <laughs> the next two thirds could prove that it's like a completely different book than I think it is. But yeah, it feels like a total document of the 90s. Um, it is, as you said, like very postmodern, self-consciously postmodern. Yeah. Yeah, it's from the era of Delilo and um, Lobster Boy. Not that Lobster Boy, the other one. <laughs> Why am I blanking on his name? Oh, David Foster Wallace. Yeah, David Foster Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) Not Jordan Peterson. Yeah, like the popularity of deconstructionism in the like English departments. The author was like did an MFA in USC's film section and was involved in the production of a documentary about Derrida. And like Derrida is referenced in the book directly on like the hidden context it's like on the surface one of the interpretations is that it's also like a, a satire or a take on academia yeah definitely that that whole section where all the most prominent literary academics are quote, quote unquote quoted at the front you're told that there's no evidence that this film that the whole book is about exists mm-hmm. and yet this old blind guy who's written this manuscript that's now been edited by this other person. It's just this long compilation of this film doesn't exist, but according to all of the citations, it's 
an obsessive object of academic like analysis. There are portions where it seems like it has to be a satire of academic citation, like when for some like a minor point about architecture, it'll just have four pages just citing like every architect he can think of <laughs> or like every photographer for some minor point about photography. Yeah, the the main horror thing seems to be this house that's like unfathomably large on the inside. But if that if that house doesn't actually exist, then it's actually about like the madness of writing. Yeah, why would you think about a house and obsessively write about a house that's bigger on the inside that doesn't exist? that hundreds of academics haven't written about. From where I am in the book, it seems like the person who's who finds this manuscript and is editing it and writing his own asides has sort of like picked up writing as a contagion. Something he wants to do that's like buried deep inside him because he like goes off on these long poetical barely comprehensible tangents, but he also seems to be losing his mind. It's a book about writing books. <laughs> we can't get away from one. We talk about one every episode. Yeah, either a book word? about writing books or a film about filmmaking. Is this a show about having a show about books and films about books and films? <laughs> I know that was a real low blow. Take that shot, but I said it. This is a radio show that's uh, bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is true. Yeah, we're the inside, and no one's on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a radio show that slowly incorporates the world outside of it. Because uh, if you really listen slowly. to it too much, you'll be inside the show. That's true. <laughs> Welcome. Point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's a nice good show. Here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have a great show. My tears with from the One time, I dressed up as a real as a as a as a real witch. As a witch. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> so you're Feruza Balk? Like what? <laughs> as a witch from the witches. And like it was after a very they terrible... scratched off their faces no, or before? before. So okay. it was a lot of people being like, what are you? Because <laughs> I was just, I just had to wear like square shoes and I think they wear a scarf what, a around cap? the neck. Yeah. Well, no, because they wear a wig. I wore a wig. Did you shave your head I think that's just a great to like be, you know, completely? Yeah, me and James Woods, we all, we both went to the same acting school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. James Woods. I was yeah, at one of the I... two fat ladies one time in college. Oh, like the, the, the motorcycle. Cooking? Yeah, the cooking show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, but you were just one? Did you have a friend who was the other one? Or like what? Yeah, I had a friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gal, do you have friends? Uh, no, this is such a funny costume to pitch. You go around alone <laughs> saying, I'm one of the two fat ladies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to do that next year. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> thought i was a pretty good vampire when i was six i had that good widow's peak going on natural all natural widow's oh peak. yeah you do have a very significant widow's peak i was eddie munster once when i was little oh yeah 
I, well, I kind of drew in my widow's peak, but... Oh, yeah, and once in college, I was uh, uh, David Byrne in the big suit. That's the one I had to explain to a lot of people. And, like, That's my math one. professor yeah. was like, wasn't that 1982? <laughs> yeah. So? <laughs> yeah, I, I often think of, like, like, throughout the year, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to be Laurie Anderson in Sharky's <laughs> Lament. <laughs> and, like... Pretty spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's gonna know what that Sharky's is. Sharky's <laughs> Lament! <laughs> Ted, I don't think I've ever seen you in a Halloween costume. I usually do pretty low effort ones. I mean, last year I was Ruth Bader Meinhof. Not many people got that. They just <laughs> thought I was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. A couple years before that, I was Slavoj Zizak. Did you get a lot of weight for that role? <laughs> I didn't commit to it that much. I just uh, bought like a brown t-shirt and wrote Hegel on one side and Lacan on the other one. How many people got that either? <laughs> Trust me, audience, Ted knows how to party. <laughs> uh, Ted parties are great. It was Dexter's sister from the show Dexter. Really? Interesting. Yeah, those are the only three I can really remember. <laughs> Why? Uh, because someone else was Dexter. So oh, okay. Oh, uh, gotcha. <laughs> so Another one. Fat to lady, too. Fat lady. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for a couple of years, in the past few years, I was the log lady from Twin Peaks. That's and a good one. That's a great that's a spooky show. While you're listening to the show, I am dressed up as an astronaut. Brian and I are going as uh, Team Rocket. So. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare for trouble. <laughs> I really am gonna miss trick or treating. You already made that. You already made that joke, Moses. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm not, it's not a joke. It's a true feeling. I can see yourself wondering. Wait a minute! Didn't you guys say you edited out all the music for the show? Well, then who is this intoxicating voice that I've been listening to? Oh, well, that is none other than Sarah Stanley, a.k.a. Focus Bird. Surprise, surprise, a good friend. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? And she gave us permission to use all her music. And if you like it, go check her out on Bandcamp. Bandcamp, search Focus Bird. Or, like I said earlier, if that's too hard for you, just go to lastrefugepod.com. You can find links to all our music there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, people. Thanks for coming, Stevie. Next yeah, week we're doing um, our theme is uh, religion. From spooky so to spookier. <laughs> <laughs> From ghost to holy ghost. Hey. Damn, that's, what a segue. <laughs> LastRefugePod.com, the last refu- refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com. Voicemail 805-253-3091. 805-253-3091. Spooky dreams, guys. <laughs> Spooky dreams and competitions. Science fiction.